You may have a seat. All right, if you would, open your Bibles to John chapter 4. If you need a Bible, you didn't bring one today, you need one. You could just raise your hands, or ushers have someone in the back that can get one to you. So just raise your hand high and bold, and they will get one into your hands. But hey, we're in John chapter 4. We are continuing our study through the book of John. And uh, we're now in John chapter 4 with Jesus having a conversation with a Samaritan woman. And uh, we're going to look a little more deeper into that. But how many of you have um, ever needed to learn a new skill? All right. You, need to, you wanted to learn to do something. And let me ask you, is it better to try to learn something new by yourself or with a master? I choose the master. Because think about it. Um, imagine trying to learn how to, be, um, to do electricity. All right. You're like, you know what? I need to put a new switch in and a new light bulb into my, 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 my uh, kitchen. And I don't know anything about electricity, but I'm going to try to wing it today. I think I can teach myself. And, and you open up and you find three wires, a green, a white, and a black. And you're like, well, what are those three wires? And you've heard that, well, one of them is hot, but you're not quite sure. So you're feeling, well, they don't feel hot to me. So you decide, well, I'm going to grab, I'm going to grab the black wire because that can't be that. And you grab that and all of a sudden you just get a little bit of what? You're going to get a shark because that black wire is the live hot wire. How many of you know trying to learn electricity by yourself? Not a good idea. Everybody say not a good idea. And um, you're not going to listen to Joe Bag of Donuts how to become an electrician, you're going to learn from an electrician. You're going to go, dude, show me. I love YouTube. Anybody love YouTube that you can actually learn watching YouTube? I love that. Okay, so if you want to learn something new or how to improve on something, you're going to learn from someone who already knows. Well, in John chapter 4, we're going to look at Jesus, who is the master at evangelism. He is the master at how to witness to someone, how to show them and teach them godly spiritual truths. And so today, I want us to look at John chapter 4 and look at Jesus and learn how can we look at this and become an effective witness. You know, we have been in a mini-series on eternal life. This week and next week, we are looking at effective witnessing. And so today I want to look at three things. Next week we're going to look at three more on how to be an effective witness. And here's the first one. I would encourage you to take notes. You have an outline in your, your bulletin, but take some notes. Here's the first thing. How to be an effective witness. Avoid meaningless controversy. If you want to be an effective witness, you have got to avoid meaningless controversy. So they're starting in John chapter 4, verse 1. It says, now Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John. Although Jesus himself did not baptize, but only his disciples. After he learned this, in verse 3, it says, he left Judea and departed. Now, remember last week I showed you a map of Israel. Judea is in southern Israel. And he was going to depart the southern region of Israel to go to the northern region of Galilee. And the reason why he was going to do that is because he heard that the Pharisees heard about him. Now, remember who the Pharisees were. The Pharisees were religious teachers, okay? They were, the, in their minds, the prominent religious teachers. They, they were very prideful and in, in very arrogant in thinking nobody else should be teaching you spiritual truths. 
If you want to learn something, you come to me. You come to the Pharisees because we, are, we, we, we know what we're talking about. We are educated in God's law. We are, we are the premier teachers of God's law. We know this thing, so don't be going to anybody else. They felt like they were the protectors of the Jewish people's faith. Okay, that that they needed to make sure people were doing it right, following things right. So the Pharisees were these people. So these guys, these Pharisees hear that Jesus is baptizing more. Okay, and Jesus hears about early Facebook right there. Okay, so Jesus hears the Pharisees heard. And so Jesus says, "Okay, I've heard these guys have heard about me. I'm going to leave. I'm just going to, I'm pulling chocks, we're out of here. But why? Why would Jesus leave? I mean, he was baptizing. In fact, we even learn in John chapter 3, you have John the Baptist baptizing, and you have Jesus now baptizing. And in John chapter 3, it even says that Jesus was baptizing more people than John the Baptist. And more people were following Jesus. You would think Jesus like, man, I got a good thing going on here. Why am I going to leave? I mean, people are coming by the hundreds, and I'm not, I can't, nope. He says, I got to leave. Think about this. Put yourself, I want you to put yourself in the shoe that you were a Pharisee. You are a Pharisee, so in your mind, you think, I'm all that and more when it comes to teaching the law of God. I know it really well. I can tell people about it really well. I can educate people. I'm protecting these people, making sure they are aligning right with, and, and you've got it going on. In your mind, you think everybody should be coming to you. You are the right teacher. You're the best teacher. No one else should be teaching. But then all of a sudden, you start learning about some guy by the name of John the Baptist. And you're like, well, let's send some people down there and go talk to him, find out what's going on with this dude. Who is he? Doesn't ruffle your feathers too much. But then you hear about another guy, and his name's Jesus, and he's just not baptizing. He's not just doing, he's doing even more than, than John the Baptist. In fact, people are leaving John the Baptist to go to this guy. And now you're like, well, you know what? Now, think about this. You're a prideful, arrogant teacher. Do you think you're just going to sweep that underneath the carpet and think it's not a big deal? Or are you going to be going, time out? Who's this guy? So, as a Pharisee, you're hearing about this guy. Let me ask you, are you going to stay put or are you going to go? You're going to go. You're going to go talk to this guy. You're going to go find out who is this guy. You're going to find out why is he doing more than John the Baptist. So I'm pretty sure you... The Pharisees got their team together, and they were heading out. And I'm thinking they were going to go talk to Jesus. And Jesus heard that they heard about him. So Jesus doesn't go, I'm ready. I'm the son of God. I can debate these guys. I'll challenge them. No. He goes, nope. I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to sit around and argue with these guys about what I'm doing. I'm not going to sit here and try to debate and change their minds because it's not going to work. I'm not going to sit here and and debate meaningless controversy with these. Nope, I'm going to leave. And I think there's three reasons why he left. One, 
is I think Jesus had a pretty good idea. I can get in an argument with these guys and it will prove fault. It, it won't mean anything. It will go nowhere. And how, do you, how, how many of you know Jesus had some conversations with the Pharisees and it went nowhere? Because their hearts were so hard. They were, they were, they were full of dead man's bones. They couldn't hear. They couldn't hear spiritual truth from Jesus. So Jesus is like, this is going to be pointless. I'm not even going to waste my time. But the second the reason I think Jesus probably left is this. His, if he would have started arguing and debating about what he was doing, it would have got him off mission. Jesus wasn't there to debate with Pharisees. He was there to turn people to God. He was there to love people and to show people God's ways, to show people their sin, turn them back to God. That was his mission, to seek and save the lost, not come and debate Pharisees. And I think the third reason why probably Jesus left and didn't stick around to, to talk with the Pharisees is because of the people around him. I'm thinking if he would have started having this dialogue and this conversation, this debate over meaningless controversy, the people who around him, it would have had a negative influence on them. So instead of Jesus sitting there going, okay, I'm ready. No, he says, okay, guys, pack up. Let's go. We're going all the way to northern Israel now. So let's move. I read that and I sit and go, what a great lesson for us today. That as Christians, we need to avoid meaningless controversy. You know, here's the truth. How many of you know, if you try to have a spiritual conversation with someone, there's always going to be someone who will argue with you. They will debate you all day long. Okay, And here's the thing. There's going to be people who would debate you, argue with you, fight with you. I mean, just any kind of controversy they can get in with you, they will. And it's not because they're trying to discover truth. They're just wanting to be a thorn in your side. Okay? There will be people who will debate you about anything and get in an argument about meaningless controversy on anything just to get you riled up. It's going to happen. Okay? But like Jesus, now how many of you know um, there's nothing wrong with having a spirited conversation sometimes? Okay? You've got to have a conversation, even with, with the hard people. But how many of you know there's a difference between a spirited conversation and meaningless controversy? Okay? When, when you're having a conversation with someone and you start to feel this is going sideways. If you're starting to have a conversation and it's starting to turn into a debate and an argument and you're realizing this is stupid. How many of you know um, I need to walk away from that? Because having a stupid conversation is stupid. Because it goes nowhere. When was the last time you had a stupid conversation with someone? You were like, well, that was productive. It doesn't go anywhere. Especially, we need to understand that if you're having a conversation with someone and it turns into a into a meaningless controversy and you're having a fight and an argument and it can turn into a war, how many of you know it will affect people who are listening to you? Especially if the people who are hearing you are unbelievers. Because here's what happens. When an unbeliever hears a Christian get into a nag ooh, nasty argument and the Christian starts to say nasty things, um, how many of you know that unbeliever looks at the Christian and go, they sound foolish? 
I don't want to listen to that. And they shut you off. You see, that's why Paul writes in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 14. He says, do not argue about, word, do not argue about words which does no good but only ruins the hearers. Don't argue about words. Don't argue about stupid things. Don't argue about controversial things that go nowhere, especially when people are hearing you, because it only ruins the hearers, especially unbelievers. Unbelievers hear Christians spew some nasty stuff, and they're like, ah, I just don't even want to hear that anymore. Can I tell you, I believe this is a real problem for Christians, especially online. Don't raise your hand, but have you ever gotten one of those spirited conversations on Facebook when someone posts something and you're like, oh, I got to get into that conversation and you, boom, yeah, what about that? And you're starting to, you get in the spewing conversation. You start getting, and then all of a sudden, you know, this guy over here pipes in. And then this woman over here pipes in. And you've got unbelievers piping in. You've got believers piping in. And it turns into nothing but a controversy. And I'm telling you, some of the controversy that, goes, that happens online isn't even over spiritual things. It's over stupid things. Especially over the past couple of years. And Christians, I believe, have been, especially in the eyes of unbelievers, too many Christians have looked like they're nothing but fools or bullies. You know, Paul writes in Titus chapter 3, verse 9, he says, But avoid foolish controversies, genealogies, dissensions, and quarrels, about the law, for they are, they are unprofitable and worthless. Now, back in Paul's time, back in early biblical times, you had Christians who said, we live by faith, and then you had like Jews and other Jewish Christians say, no, you got to still adhere to the law. And people would argue over this. And Paul's like, oh, stop it already. He's like, if you want to argue about the law, it is pointless and worthless. It goes nowhere. You're not going to win. And so guess what? So when Christians get online and we start posting things and we start debating people and arguing with people, guess what? Stop it. It's going nowhere. All we're doing as Christians is looking foolish in front of the world. Then Paul also writes in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 16. He says, avoid irreverent babble. For it, le- it will lead people into more and more ungodliness, and their talk will spread like gangrene. Think about that for a moment. There are people who, Christians even, online, who say such putrid things, their language is like gangrene. And it spreads. And it causes nothing but an infection for the people who hear. Listen, if we want to be an effective witness... You've got to avoid meaningless controversy. You have got to truly pick your battles. You need to look at it and go, if I engage, can I tell you how many times Paul has had to walk me back from the edge? That's why I don't get on Facebook anymore, guys. Because there are times where I'm reading something and I'm I'm like, I've got my fingers on the keys. And she's like, you better hold on. Because how many of you know once you hit, hit, hit enter, there is no getting that back. 
And Paul was like, look, and she's had to walk me back from the edge many times. Because I read something, I'm like, oh, that's so stupid. And I want, I want to engage in stupidity too. And so I want to show how stupid I am by engaging in stupidity. And Paul was like, man, don't do it. And then I, have, I, I breathe, I step back, and I think. I'm like, I could say something, but they're just going to retaliate and say something different. So I'm not going to engage in the ping pong match that's going to about to take place. You see, if we want to be an effective witness, you have to avoid controversy, especially meaningless controversy. We want to act in a way, um, maybe I'm the only one who thinks this way, uh, don't we want to um, attract people to Jesus and not detract from Jesus? And guess what? Engaging in meaningless controversies, especially online, it just detracts. Let's attract people and let's avoid meaningless converse, controversy. Here's the second thing in order to be an effective witness. Seek opportunities to have a spiritual conversation. Seek opportunities to have a spiritual conversation. So Jesus now departs. He's, he's departed Judea, and he's going to go to northern Galilee. And in verse 4, he says, and he had to pass through Samaria. Samaria was a region in between. You had, you had Judea here, Galilee up here, Samaria right smack in the middle. And Jesus is going to go through Samaria, okay? And I'm going to explain that here in a second. And so he had to pass through Samaria as verse 4. Verse 5 says, so he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well, and it was about the sixth hour. Remember, I, I talked on this last week, and I said the sixth hour was noon. And Jesus comes to this well. This, the, the well was outside the town about a half a mile, and he comes to the well. And at the time he would have arrived at noon, do you remember what I said last week? How many people would have been collecting water at noon? Nobody. Okay? And so Jesus shows up at a well wanting, because it says he's wearied, meaning he's tired, and it's hot out. What else would he have been? Thirsty. You go to a well for what? Water. You guys are on it today, man. You're just on it. Okay? He, he goes to the well, tired, weary, thirsty, to get water, and he shows up, and there's nobody there. How many of you know Jesus wasn't at the well primarily for physical water? He was there for a purpose. He was there because he knew a woman was going to be there. And if you look at verse 7, Jesus is at the well and it says, And a woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus is at the well, hanging out, nothing to draw water with, nobody there, at a time when there was nobody, and yet he's just hanging out and waiting. Because he's waiting with a purpose. As I said last week, he already knew this woman even though he did not know her. He had already seen this woman even though he had never talked to her before. And he had a purpose. He went through Samaria because he had a mission. And there was one woman he had to get to. This woman. And he had a, he had a single-minded mission in mind was this. I need to go talk to this woman and engage in a conversation. Engage in a spiritual conversation. 
See, that's what Jesus was about. Seeking people and engaging in a conversation. You and I, if you're a believer today, if you are a Christian, you and I have a calling. And we all as a Christian are called to be witnesses. We are called to share our faith. We are called to talk to people. We are called to be able to tell somebody about Jesus. That's our calling. Now, here's the thing. As a believer, even though I know I have that calling, guess what? You have a choice. We all have the choice. Do I say something or do I not? Do I witness or do I not? Do I try to have a spiritual conversation with someone or do I not? That's your choice. How many of you saw the movie Titanic? Our daughter, Breck. Oh, my gosh. I think she's seen that movie 455 times. <laughs> and um, when the Titanic is sinking and the lifeboats are going off the boat, history proves that the, the Titanic lifeboats were only a, a quarter to a half full, each one. And in the movie, it shows the, the women getting in the boats, getting into the water and rowing out. And, and you, you have um, Molly Brown and one of the boats saying, we've got to go back. And they all make the decision to say, no, we're not. We're like, we've, she's like, we got room in here. We can save more people. And they were like, we're not going back. You see, the reality is, when the Titanic sank, every lifeboat had a decision to make. Do we continue on because we're safe? Or do we turn this thing around and we go rescue more? And when it was all said and done, only one lifeboat went back. You see, that's the decision you and I have to make when it comes to witnessing. Is this, I'm okay. I know I'm saved. So you know what? As long as I'm saved and I'm in my lifeboat, I'm not going back. I'm going to stay right where I'm at because I'm okay. Or we can have the, the, the mentality that says, I know I'm okay, but there's people who aren't. I have family members who aren't. I've got friends who aren't. I have coworkers who aren't. So I'm going to row my boat back, and I know I'm safe, but I want to get more people in my boat. And we've got to have a conversation. We've got to look for opportunities and seek opportunities to have a spiritual conversation. So if you're here today and you say, I'm a believer, Jim, and I want to be a witness. Get on the team. Make a decision to say, you know what? I want to be a witness, so I'm going to start seeking opportunities that I can have a spiritual conversation. Before I was pastor, many, many moons ago, and I would go to my job, I remember pulling into the parking lot every night, and I would pray one simple prayer, God, help me Talk to someone tonight. God, give me an opportunity to have a spiritual conversation with someone tonight. And I would go into work and I would have a mission in my mind. I'm going to seek someone out. I'm going to be working with someone. And if I work with someone, I'm going to figure out how can I have a conversation with this person. That should be your desire. That when you go to work... Before you ever go into that job, say a prayer. God, help me today. Help me to have a conversation with someone today. Open the door, God. And when you open the door, open my mouth. 
and start seeking. Who can I talk to today? Man, if, you were, if you've worked next to Tom for four years and you haven't said anything to Tom, it's time for that to change. Because Tom needs to hear the truth of the gospel somehow. You see, I think sometimes what we do is we, we, we work this thing up. And I think a lot of us are timid and afraid to, to say something because I think we have this idea that, well, if I start a conversation, it's got to be the whole enchilada, man. I got I to gotta get him saved that moment. No, no, you don't. I think we have this idea that I got to shove the entire Bible down their throat and I got to be able to tell them everything about Jesus and get them to respond. No, no, you don't. See, that's why Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, some people plant, some people water. God makes it grow. You see, sometimes your conversation your spiritual conversation may just be a blip on the radar, a spiritual comment done, gone. Or your conversation could be maybe just a couple minutes. Or your conversation could be over a cup of coffee for a couple hours. You got to kind of think of witnessing like fishing. You usually fish three different ways with three different types of, of bait. One, live bait. Or maybe a dough ball bait. So if you use a worm, you, you cast it out there, bloop, goes in the water, set the, and you just let it go, right? You're not doing anything, okay? How many of you remember as kids, you'd throw your worm out there and you'd be reeling it in, your dad'd be like, hey, throw it out there and let it sit. Quit playing with the worm. You're like, I like playing with the worm. Leave it in the water. And the idea was it just would sit there, okay? And it would sit there a long time. Sometimes witnessing is like that. You have that opportunity where it's a long conversation. Man, you get to get that. You engage, and it's a dialogue, and it goes on and on. But sometimes witnessing may be like fishing with a rubber worm or a, 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 a popper type of, of lure. You throw it out, and then as a kid, whoa, I love this, and you get to reel it in, and, and it comes back, and you throw it back out, and you reel it in, reel it in. It's a little bit, it's not as long as a worm in the water, but it's, a little bit shorter. You may have a conversation like that. Just kind of quick, short. But sometimes, witnessing can be like fly fishing. Now, I've never done fly fishing. I don't think I'd like it, okay? I think it's too hard. But if you ever have watched people fly fish, they don't throw the fly out and just let it sit, do they? They don't throw the fly out and reel it back in, do they? They fly it out, pop it back, fly it out, pop it back, fly it out, pop it back, fly it out, let it sit, see what happens. But it's quick. Fly it out, pop it out, fly it out, pop it back, fly it out, pop it back. Sometimes witnessing is a quick little snap. For example, many years ago, I knew a guy who uh, was a Christian, and he worked like in a factory that was like really hot all the time. And he was talking to me. He's like, man, last night I was at work. And he's like, oh, it was just hotter than hell in there. And he goes, he goes, in fact, he goes, I use that to my advantage. He goes, I was at work and my buddy next to me, and he goes, I'm, the, I'm sweating and he's sweating. He goes, man, I am so glad I am not going to hell. And he dropped it. He just threw the 
fly fishing. Threw it out, popped it back. Glad I'm not going to hell. And he just continued going to work. But his buddy was like, and after some time, his work friend came up and he's like, dude, what did you mean when you said you are glad you're not going to hell? And guess what? That led into the worm going into the water and a longer conversation taking place. You see, sometimes that is, it's just a pop. I've, I told Paula, that's, that's kind of what I'm doing with our neighbor. Just, I just talked to him about all kinds of things. He was in the Marines, I was in the Navy. So we talk about all kinds of things. And the other day, we were just talking about the things going on in the world. And I'm just like, man, I don't know about you. And I go, man, I'm just ready for Jesus to come back. Dropped it. But he goes, I know. Let's just get done with this whole thing. I'm like, absolutely. Or I was also sharing with him. You know, he and I, he, he and I just, we, we talk about COVID and the stress that it's brought on people. And I said, you know, I go, I go, I love preaching. I go, I love studying the Bible and teaching the Bible. I go, but pastoring's been hard. And he goes, I bet it has. And that started a conversation. But you see, a lot of my conversation with him is a just fly it out, pop it back. Because I'm hoping that one day something bites and he and I will have a conversation. Listen, when you are sharing about Christ, don't think you've got to do the entire thing. Don't think you need to have the, the entire Romans road memorized. And just, it's not about how long you talk. It's just saying, I want to say something. And it's having that mentality to say, when I, when I go to work, when, when, I, when I'm with my friends, when I'm talking to, I, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to seek an opportunity that I can say something, somehow, some way, just something that hopefully as I just step out by faith and say something that God will do the work. It's not up to you to bring the harvest. Just plant, just water, throw the bait out and let God take care of everything else. You just be obedient to just say, you know what? I'm going to seek an opportunity to have a spiritual conversation. So, to be an effective witness, avoid meaningless controversy. Two, seek opportunities to have a spiritual conversation. And number three, be compassionate despite who they are or what they do. If we want to be truly an effective witness, you have got to be compassionate despite who people are or what they do. So Jesus is now, at, he's at this well. This woman shows up. And in verse 7, he says, give me a drink. The disciples had gone away. and They're out buying food. And the Samaritan looks to Jesus and says to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for me a drink? Ask for a drink from me, a Samaritan. For the Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. This is what I explained last week. This woman... Before she ever got to Jesus, she had three strikes against her, right out of the gate. One, she even says, you're a Jew. Why are you talking to me? I'm a Samaritan. And as I said last week, that Jews and Samaritans, even says in her text, had no dealings with each other. Because the Jews looked at Samaritans as a lower class citizen. 
they looked at them really like, like the low end of the totem pole on the, on the people scale. Jews despised Samaritans. Jews had no dealings with Samaritans. Jews were, 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 were prejudiced against them and, and judged them and, 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 and didn't like them. And it's all because the, Jew, the, the Samaritans were a mixed breed. They were, they were part Jew. They were part Gentile. They, they couldn't trace their genealogy back to the 12 tribes of Israel. They, they worshiped different. They, they, had their own, they had their own temple. The Jews didn't like them. So they treated them badly. They, 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 they just, I don't want to be around you. But Jesus is like, I don't care that you're a Samaritan. And then the second strike was that she's a woman. And he's, she's like, why are you talking to me? A woman, a Samaritan woman. Again, not only is she a Samaritan being mistreated by a whole, whole group of people, but now she's a woman who was mistreated by men. In Jesus' time, like I said, even in cultures today, women were mistreated so poorly. Given They, they were second-class citizens, given no rights. In fact, they were pretty much just property. And so this woman's like, really? You, a man, a Jewish man, talking to me. But the third strike is found in verses 16 through 18. She was an immoral woman. She had been married five different times, more than likely divorced. And the guy that she is presently with, she's living with him, not married. So she would have been the outcast in this village. She would have been the woman everybody pointed fingers at. She would have been the woman. In fact, that's why I said she was at the well at noon. Because other women would have went and got water early in the morning. She goes to the, 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 the well at noon so she can be by herself. I sit and think about this woman. I bet she was tired of feeling judged. She wanted just to, I want to go to the well where nobody's there. I don't want anybody to point a finger at me. I don't want to see one woman. People walk away from me. I show up at the well. I'm pretty sure all the other women will collect their stuff real fast and walk away. I don't want that. So I'm going to go to the well when no one else is there. I'm sure she felt like the scarlet woman. But there's Jesus. And Jesus says, give me a drink of water. But then Jesus moves on from there and he begins to have a spiritual conversation with this woman. You see, here's the thing. Jesus looked past her being a Samaritan. He looked past her being a woman. He looked past her being a sinner. He looked past all of that to he looked to what she needed. And she needed one thing, a savior. She needed eternal life. So he got, he got past the, I don't care you're a Samaritan woman. You're a woman, doesn't bother me. Even your sin, we can deal with. Let's talk about the real issue. The real issue is you don't have a, a thirst in your mouth. You have a thirst in your heart. That's where we need to get to. Jesus showed this woman compassion. 
He, he showed acceptance. He showed that I love you. Let's, let's, let's work with the real issue. The real issue is you have a hole in your heart that is not being filled by all the men you've been with. It's not being filled by anything. Let me show you how that hole can be filled. And it is living water welling up in you. And I have that if you, if you want it. You see, Jesus was always about that. He showed compassion to people who needed it. I mean, think about the people that Jesus showed compassion to. The prostitutes, tax collectors, cussing like sailor sailors. I'm glad you got that one. He, he hung out with the fringe. You see, that's why it tells us like in Matthew and Mark that when Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, a tax collector with other sinners, it was the religious people the Pharisees, that got all bent out of shape. And they, they, they like hustled over to his disciples where Jesus said, they have to, well, he can't hear us. And he, they were, dudes, why is your teacher hanging out with these sinners? And Jesus would look at him and go, guys, you don't even get it, do you? I didn't come for righteous people. I didn't come for healthy people. I came for one type of people, sick people, sinful people. These people need compassion. See, here's the truth. Sinners make religious people uncomfortable. Religious people make sinners uncomfortable. Let me ask you this. If you could, if we could transport ourselves back to this time and be in that room, do you think sinners felt uncomfortable around Jesus? Do you think sinners felt unsafe around Jesus? Sinners felt like I can be real with Jesus because he loved them. You see, I, 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 think, I think the church has done sinners a disservice if we're really honest. Because I'm wondering, because let's just be honest for a second. Um, don't we as Christians categorize sins? You know, these sinful people, well, we can deal with that sin. But these sinful people, well, I think they need to clean themselves up before we really let them in. You know, Paul and I were having a conversation with a woman who used to attend this church. And um, she has come out to be gay. And, and Paul and I were talking with her. And she said, you know, she goes, I don't think I could go back to your church. I'm like, why? I feel unsafe. Now, I know you and I are like, what? What does she mean? And I even went, what? It's simply this. Do some sinners go into churches because of their sin? And Christians are like, <gasps> and we get all tense around them. Like, wow, they're, they're really sinful. Or do we show compassion? See, I, I think what happens is when you start 
saying to Christians, hey, we need to show compassion to sinners. We need to show sinners, hey, we accept you, man. All of a sudden, I think what you have Christians in the back of their head going, well, are you saying that we are to condone their sin then? No. Not at all. Jesus loved sinners. He showed compassion to sinners. But guess what he also did? He challenged them. He he tried to help them change. Showed them the right way. But he didn't say, clean yourselves up and then come to me. He was like, man, in your mess. I said this, I can't remember if it was last week or the week before. Some of you, if we played your life out on a film, would you want people to see it? Would you want people to know your darkest secrets? Would you want people to know your sin? And all of us, I'm pretty sure, are going, no, no, not really. Well, guess what? Your sin is no different from anybody else's. It is, it is ugly. It, it, it's sinful. But man, somebody showed you compassion. Enough to tell you about the love of Christ. You know, I came across this commentary. It says, loving and showing compassion to the lost is the first step in leading them to Christ. Man, people who are truly sinful, they don't need rules. They, 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 they need just people who will love them and show compassion as the first step. Let them them just be able to walk in and just not feel like people are, you know, this woman, if she would have went to the well with every other woman, how would she have truly felt? Would the women looked at her differently? I'm thinking so. So, and and I thought about this this morning, and I know I have failed in this. And I, I prayed, and I'm like, God, forgive me for failing in this. That I know sometimes I cast judgment before I ever show compassion. I pray that we, and I've said this before, that we will continue. As a church, as a pastor, I can't control what happens in the American church. I can't control what happens in all the churches in Illinois. I can't control what happens in all the churches in Woodhall but I can help this church. And we, as a people, have got to come to a place where if people who are truly sinful walked into this place, would they feel safe? Would they feel comfortable? Would they be able to walk out of here on a Sunday morning and go, those people cared about me. Or would they walk out going, man, I, I, felt, I felt judged. No one really wanted to talk to me. Nobody, nobody really took time for me. Loved ones, we got to be like Jesus. He is the master. And if Jesus hung out with a woman who was a Samaritan, who was immoral, how can we not do any less? I want to close with this little two-line poem that I heard, I read. And it says, Lord, help us to show compassion to a world that is lost in sin. 
So when we share the gospel, hungry souls for Christ, we will win. Loved ones, we got to show compassion. We got to show people when they walk through this, these doors, you know what? We don't care who you are. We don't care what you do. We care about what you need. And what you need is a savior. And it doesn't matter what sin it is. All of us are sinners and falling short of the glory of God. All sin is sin before God. And you know what? We've got to be a people that says, you know what? I'm not going to judge you before I know you. I just want to love you and show compassion of Christ for you. And then let's walk together in this thing. And let's figure out how do we live like Christ. As a church, I pray that's our goal. That we would be an effective witness in here and outside. All for the glory of God. Amen? Let's pray.